Welcome to episode 318 with my guest, Julia Rotzi. Today's episode is sponsored by Probimune, a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. It's easy to use, easy to travel with, and doesn't require refrigeration. Right now, you guys can get your first bottle of Probimune free when you sign up for automated delivery. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probimune free, and all you pay is $6.75 shipping and handling. So go to probimune.com, that's P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com, and use the promo code MENTAL at checkout to get your free bottle today. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is metalpod.com. Go fill out surveys. Please go fill out surveys. Uh, we read those on the show, and maybe we'll read yours, um, and it really helps us get to know you. And um, I finally fixed the link. We had the wrong link up for uh, you to vote for your favorite episode of 2016. That has uh, since been fixed. But we got about a dozen uh, different surveys you can take, and um, it really contributes a lot to the show. And there's all kinds of other stuff you can do at the website. And um, what did I want to mention? Oh, San Francisco. I'm going to be in the Bay Area doing two live recordings of the podcast. Um, it would be Wednesday and Thursday, February 22nd and 23rd. And uh, I'll put a link on the show notes for this episode, but uh, you can go to eastbayexpress.com slash mental and uh, get more information or buy tickets. But I'll put, the, again, I'll put that, that link on our website. Um, I got a, a, an interesting email from uh, a listener who wrote, let's see, what does she want to be called? Uh... Uh, her name is Sally, but she wrote, uh, my name will, because sometimes I'll ask people, can I read this on the air? If so, how would you like to refer to me? And she says, my name will suffice, but sugar-crazed somnophobe would be closer to the mark. Anyway, last week's episode was about uh, misophonia, which is an extreme sensitivity to certain everyday sounds. And uh, we also talked about uh, synesthesia, synesthesia, yes, Um which is where uh, you see colors uh, associated with uh, certain things, maybe like sounds or numbers or stuff like that. And so uh, Sally wrote in, and she write, wrote, um, you guys were talking about uh, synesthesia. Uh, since I haven't, I thought I'd give you my perspective. Every person is different who has the condition, but for me, it basically means that whenever I hear a sound, I see a color in my mind's eye. This is especially prominent with musical instruments, so if I hear a flute, the sound is red. If I hear an oboe, it's yellow. A clarinet, it's peach, and so on. Every sound you can think of as a color for me, and it's always the same color. Uh, days of the week also have colors, as do months of the year. People's names and letters of the alphabet. Oh, and of course, numbers do too. Voices also have colors. Yours is kind of a sandy color with flecks in it, by the way. Hey, as long as those flecks don't go gray. 
Uh, so I find it really easy to identify by their voices because the colors are so distinctive. Again, I can't speak for other people, but for me, the condition enriches my life greatly. I can't imagine a world where you would only hear sounds without seeing them as well. The only time it causes me issue is when I hear, uh, say, a fire alarm or something like that, and seeing the colors as well as hearing the sound is a bit too intense. I also find having the TV up really loud while somebody is talking to me really tricky because I'm seeing and hearing the sound simultaneously, so it makes it really difficult to concentrate. I'm sure you'd be able to find more concise and uh, clinical information on Google, but I thought you might appreciate the perspective of a human being rather than some medical uh, shite. <laughs> Thank you for that, uh, Sally. Um I've mentioned before that we are sponsored by BetterHelp.com. They provide online counseling. Uh, it's a great service. I use it. Um, I believe in it. And uh, listeners have tried it. And, uh, in fact, one listener in, in particular, um, he wrote me an email, uh, not necessarily about BetterHelp, but about uh, a different issue with having trouble uh, cutting contact with uh, with his mom. And uh, I'm going to read you what he uh, he wrote to me. Um, I've been neglected, emotionally abused from both parents, and because of that, I've suffered with depression and anxiety for most of my life. His name is Henry, by the way. I'm 18. My dad left uh, when I was 10 after having affairs, and the anger my mom felt for my dad was kind of shifted towards me. I didn't realize this until, well, pretty recently, actually. I moved out to L.A. about a month ago and um, didn't recently realize how weird and wrong the relationship with both of my parents is. Um, he writes, uh, the reason I ask is because at this point, my mom is guilt tripping me into talking to her and I just can't handle the stress and anxiety that she's causing me. She isn't mentally well either. I just really want to cut her out of my life, but I don't know how to do it. Uh, I feel so incredibly awkward about the whole situation. It might be some weird codependency thing, but I don't feel comfortable causing my mom the stress and pain of her son cutting her off while she's halfway across the world. Yet at the same time, I can't continue like this, living under my mother's rule for the rest of my life. It's going to tear me apart. I tell her time and time again that I don't need to be messaged every day, but she doesn't listen. Uh, I really like what you're doing with your show. I also really like the BetterHelp website that you've been promoting. I found great success in talking to psychologists there. Um, and to first of all, thank you for uh, using one of our sponsors. That helps uh, the show greatly. Um, and about the situation with your mom, you told her, I don't need to be messaged every day. Uh, I would say to your mom, I don't want you to message me every day, please, or please don't message me every day. Uh, it stresses me out, or you know, I just uh, would prefer less contact for now. What, whatever amount it is that you want to set a boundary with, you you need to start doing that if you want things to improve. Um, and a healthy parent though dis maybe disappointed or concerned about why a child wants a break, would respect a child requesting to take a break. I'm talking about an adult child. Uh, because that parent would want what's best for their child. And it sounds like your mother doesn't. It sounds like she wants what's best for her. And 
I highly recommend, uh, in addition to keeping up the therapy you're doing, uh, checking out some support groups, some codependency support groups. There's some great 12-step ones. Um, there's one for uh, children of uh, dysfunction. There's a 12-step group for it. Um, there's tons of non-12-step uh, ones as well. But uh, do not try to change your mom because you can't, and it will only drive you crazy. Um, and that's what the support groups and therapy will, will help you with. Uh, it is a very long, confusing, emotionally difficult process. At least it was for me. I still get pangs of guilt five years later, but I know it was the right thing to do. And I finally had to be the parent to myself that I unfortunately didn't get in, in childhood. Not to say that my parents didn't do some stuff that was right or great or whatever, but, um, I just finally had to cut contact with somebody who couldn't hear what I have to say. And it sounds like your mom is having trouble hearing what you have to say, and she might need consequences. Um, so support groups will help you with that. Your therapist will help you with that. And just, you know, hang in there. It's in many ways, when you are raised with a narcissistic parent, it is in many ways kind of like a cult because they have conditioned you uh, as probably they were conditioned as children to believe that the parents' needs are always more important than the child's needs. And that can really fuck a child up. And it, it sounds like that's kind of what has happened with you, that you are more concerned um, with hurting her feelings than you are with your mental sanity and uh, I really, I really hope you uh, you take the plunge and and uh, start setting those boundaries because it, it's not going to get better uh, on its own. Um, I want to share a story with you guys. Oh, uh, and and uh, for BetterHelp.com, by by the way, the uh, website is BetterHelp.com/mental. And go there, complete a questionnaire, and you'll get matched with a BetterHelp.com counselor and experience a free week of counseling, uh, online counseling, to see if uh, it's right for you. you got to be over 18. And um, yeah, it, it, it's a great service. Highly recommend it. Uh, I want to tell you guys a story. I don't know why. Um, this, uh, there was a place that we used to go in high school called Wampum Lake Woods. Um, I didn't even know what wampum meant until like, until I looked it up, honestly, yesterday. I thought I knew what it meant, but um, a wampum is uh, are small cylindrical beads that Native Americans uh, used to use um, uh, as... Uh, currency uh, and for other things too. Um, I, I think they were used in, in ceremonies and stuff, but um, I was just remembering how exciting it was when I first got my driver's license. I was the first one in my group to, to get my license because I have a January birthday. And so that meant that we would always, when we needed weed, we would all get in my car my my diesel rabbit on well, my parents' car. And we would go to Wampum Lake Woods. It was basically, it was a forest preserve about five miles from our house. And it was, 
very unspectacular looking, completely flat, little tiny lake, little tiny man-made lake, and uh, you would turn left off of a, a road, and it was just maybe 150 yards of just a straight road with uh, straight-in parking, both on the right and the left. And you would go there on the weekend to score drugs, and I kid you not, lined up in all of those parking spaces on the left and on the right were people saying, acid, coke, Colombian gold, coke, you know, what, whatever it was, mescaline, PCP, it was like a flea market. And I couldn't, it was so exciting to me because I just started escaping into drugs. And I'm not trying to glorify drugs. I guess the point of the story is how bizarre that the first place where I felt like I had um, a sanctuary in my most angst-ridden years, because um, in high school, I didn't have a lot of friends. I went to a different high school than all of my grade school friends went to, or at least most of them. So, and it was a huge high school. I went from being in a class of 40 kids at, at a you know little Catholic grade school to a class of 1,300 kids at a public high school. So, you know, I was basically on my own. Everybody had started hitting puberty. I was the smallest kid out of the 1,300, I'm pretty sure. And and I had just discovered weed. So it was like this was the world. This was like all I wanted was to make sure that I could stay high all the time. And Wampum was this place that always had weed. But it was kind of terrifying because you would pull in and these people that were selling it were scary fucking people. They looked like Hell's Angels. A lot of them were bikers. And they had that, I don't know how to describe it, but the way, what they would do is they would tell you what it is that they were selling. And if you were interested, you would slow down. They'd come up to your window. You'd say, how much? And they'd say, you know, uh, 35 bucks an ounce. Yeah, that's how cheap weed was back then, but it was also shitty weed. And uh, and if that sounded good to you, um, then you would pull pull right into the parking spot right there. And then this person would say, uh, stay right here. And they would um, run into the woods, which were about maybe 25, 30 yards away, because that's where they held the stuff in, in case the cops busted it. And the cop station, 200 yards away. But there was this weird rule where rangers were supposed to handle it, not the police, because it was a a forest preserve, and the rangers were not equipped like policemen. Um, so it was this kind of <laughs> tense thing, like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, where you were like, I'm about, I'm about to, to get my soothing blanket, but I also might get arrested or I might get shot. And when you would score it and not get ripped off because sometimes you'd make the mistake of giving them the money first and then they'd just take your money and they'd just go into the woods and they wouldn't come back. And nobody's going <laughs> to go running into the woods after a guy that, you know, has a, a, a tattoo of a skull uh, on his face. And I never I never got arrested there. 
I never got robbed. I never got beat up. But there was always that threat. You'd make that left-hand turn. And it was a, a town called Thornton, which was itself kind of a bizarre town because half of Thornton had been dug up for the limestone. And there were these gigantic quarries. Uh, Thornton was maybe like a mile or two from, from my house. Uh, I grew up in a place called Homewood. And uh, like every day around 3 o'clock, they would dynamite, dynamite another part of the rock quarry in Thornton, and the house would shake a little bit. And so you would travel through like these little rural roads through these quarries to this bizarre, like Hell's Angel lane. It was like a, it was like a cul-de-sac founded by the Hell's Angels, with just a shitty lake, and like sad trees and just the way i don't know if you've ever been around like hardcore drug culture but there's a strut that people have when they're in a crowd like the guys will like really throw their shoulders back and kind of bob up and down when they go to do something and it just i just remember thinking everybody here is so sad and full of shit but God, I am too, but I don't know what else to do because this is going to have to do. This will have to be my my home base until I can find something that makes me feel better. And all, this, all these memories just came flooding back up when when I thought of of Wampum Woods and and really, what better way to pay tribute uh, to the Native Americans who were the original inhabitants of that area than by buying weed through the window of a Trans Am. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akinzaya in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with Julia Rossi, and uh, <laughs> we just recorded a half hour, and uh, I realized that her mic wasn't actually being recorded. <laughs> so we are we are going to start again. Um, let's let's dive right into it. You uh, you're you come from a family of uh, immigrants, Italian immigrants. Yes, mom and dad are from Italy. Um, you're a stand-up comedian. Um, you were married once. You got a divorce. You do a show about it called Bad Bride. Um, what what am I missing? Oh, you are Grand Slam winner, uh, mm-hmm. Grand Slam winner mm-hmm. of the Moth. Yes. And um, you were re- recommended by Christian Finnegan, who yes. I love. love. Loved his episode. Love his episode. And what what are some of the issues that you struggle with? Okay. Uh, gosh. Well. 
And by the way, I take the microphone not working as the universe telling us that all of that was not necessary. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, no worries. Um, What are some issues? Uh, Definitely uh, anxiety, anxiety, depression, um, and feeling... uh, I have like a very high school mentality still in many ways, like of calling people cool and not cool or being like am i cool do i belong feeling left out getting super hurt when i'm not invited to things um yeah i'm a, I have a little bit of high school brain I'm, I'm i constantly say i can't wait to graduate high school where do you think that comes from high school <laughs> <laughs> um well a few things well so italian parents uh raised with a lot of what will other people think i mean that was definitely you know shame guilt regret those are like a few of our favorite things and uh give me some snapshots of of your mom and a couple of snapshots of your dad that you feel kind of um uh, encapsulate sure okay so mom um housewife since she was born six she grew up with six brothers she was the only girl so she and in italy you, and in you italy, gotta do everything oh yeah right? she would you know wash clothes on a rock and all that kind of good stuff um moved here when she was 28 met my dad first guy she ever dated married him the rest is history um well hearst version is uh, i met this donkey ah, i felt so bad for him and then they got married it's very romantic and uh <laughs> and she is uh hilarious she is honestly one of the funniest people i've ever met and um but she's i call her a diva trapped in a house coat because like when she gets all dolled up for like a wedding or I mean, she's sassy people. She's sexy. People think she's hilarious and charming. Then she goes home and she puts on that stupid house coat. And it's just like it's almost like a cost. It's so weird. It's like Superman, you know, like she's Clark Kent at home, just cleaning nonstop plastic on the couch, obsessed with cleaning. And, uh, and you would say OCD. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's it's her escape, I think. Well, you know, it's like I say that I always have a hard time because I like I love to diagnose people. But then it's like, who am I to say? Because she says she loves it. So I, I wish I used my obsessive thinking sometimes on something, you know, uh, productive like yes. cleaning you yeah. know what I mean yeah. I obsess about shit that's worthless oh god if I like I used to obs- when I first joined Twitter I'd be obsessed with like who followed me back yes. or whatever I'm like that's not getting my apartment yeah. clean you know yeah. like at least it's something but yeah I'd say a little OCD there definitely anxiety um, that's and she she admits that and um, you know worries a lot and again these are like the thing with um, mental health and immigrants especially like a lot of these are like italian stereotypes so it it's funny but it's also uh you know it's also bothersome (laughs) at times you know um but so she worries a lot she's really when she writes me cards she's so poetic she draws these adorable doodles she's really creative and like I would say to her, you should go take a class or like do something with. And she's like, ah, what's the point? You know, like there's sort of this. Um, I don't want to say give up, but it's like this, ah, like that, exasperated about you know tired kind of kind of vibe. And but then you know you and that's when she's in the house. So I think a little bit. Well, she's at work. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess if you're at work 24-7, you're going to be a little exasperated all the time because that's her mm-hmm. job, that house. Um, you take her out of the house and like, I took her to go get a new cell phone six months ago. I mean, she killed at that store. She wa- we wa- I was like the best set of her life. She walked in and I'm like, what phone do you want to get? She goes, ha ha, a big offensive phone because I'm a fancy lady. And she's like saying it loud so everyone can hear her. And then, I mean, I'm not even kidding. People put down what they were doing to just listen to her talk. And like, she had to call my dad to get, you know, because he's on the account to get permission to upgrade. And she's like, hold on, I'm a call of my husband. And like, but she's like putting on a show. And she's like, $30 charge. He's having a heart attack. And everyone is like, Showtime at the Apollo, like clapping and screaming. It's, I mean, it's, it's, so it's this really like, it's not weird, but it's like, I see one side of her that is sort of like tired and worried and like in the house and putting more plastic on the couch or whatever but then it's like the second wow what yeah, an interesting contrast it is it's like she has she has the highest and lowest sort of i want to say self-esteem but like yeah diva trapped in a house coat that's like what i would call her memoir if i had to write one you know like she just what do you go ahead no no uh she um you know growing up we would watch like dynasty and the colbys and the thorn birds and she has this big uh she has a big space between her teeth that she's always been self-conscious of so she often will smile with her mouth closed but when she watches these like romantic movies that are like you know sophia loren and like all this stuff or uh she her she gets the goofiest smile and you could tell when she's really happy because the space shows Mm -hmm. and she's not self-conscious of it and she just like you know that makes her happy and does that make you happy when you see it oh god yeah she just she if i could give my mom anything it would be like i don't know i i've told her since i was younger i was gonna fly her to hawaii for like the best vacation of her life they can afford it but i and like my mom will always joke she's like i'm still away to for hawaii but like i don't even know if she would go but my, that would be my wish for her that i could just like I pack her suitcase filled with like the most like gorgeous dresses you've ever seen and just like send her to Hawaii and whether or not my dad comes, I don't know, but like just this like romantic, amazing escapade of like where she's just, you know, waited on hand and foot. So she's at home, like cutting her own, her own hair, you know, it's just, what do you, what do you think her, uh, thing dreams are? What, what if she, if she had a dream, what do you think? I mean, she tells me her dreams and all she wants is that we're happy. But for herself. Exactly. I know. And that's like the Italian martyr in her. I think she probably, well, I think a couple of things. I think she probably would have been more of a traveler. It's weird because she, I feel like there's a little bit of vicarious living that I do. And I think that motivates me a little bit because she's an entertainer. Mm -hmm. She truly is. But, you know, two people at the cell phone store. And she's, you know, kind of fabulous when when she has moments to be at like a wedding or whatever. But for the most part, she's in her house coat. So, you know, when I'm taking new headshots or whatever, I'm like the first thing I get excited about is showing them to my mom. because She's like, oh, so sexy. You know, like there's this she worries that I travel like it, it. She's like, oh, my God, why? But then she gets that goofy grin when I'm telling her about my adventures, like the best the best moment I think I've ever had with my mom in my life was I lived in LA in the early 2000s and 
you know, my family, we had only got, we went to Florida twice. Those are the only times that we took a plane ride because planes are dangerous and they're expensive. <laughs> and, you know, even though they have, again, they're financially fine, but like they love saving money. And, uh, and my mom has never traveled without my dad. So when I was living here, I don't know how we did it, but my sister and I somehow convinced my mom and my sister to come visit me, just have a girl's trip. My mom came to LA for a week. We went to the Beverly Hills Hotel. She wore like her new, they weren't even new. They looked like new heels, but she had had them for 30 years, but she had them in so many plastic bags that they <laughs> look like they had never paid been, off. It paid know? off. Oh yeah. Every time I complain about her cleanliness, she's like, cause I wear a lot of her vintage dresses. She's like, but where'd you get that dress? You know, like anyways, okay. she came, um, I was a regular at the comedy store. I took her to the comedy store. She was like walking around to going up to everyone going, I got a feel you're going to make it. And like <laughs> just totally boosting everyone's confidence. Just like, hammed it up she was a fu- people were going up to her at the comedy store and they were like are you julia's mom because i i do her in my act mm-hmm. and she's like yes and they're like oh my god it's such a-. like they like she was a celebrity mm-hmm. in that little world and you just she was glowing and so i think her dream would probably be a little bit of that whether i don't think she feels like she's allowed to admit that though because she is a mom and a housewife and that's what she's chosen and i think if she she probably feels like if she were to admit it, then that would make her a bad mom or something. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like, I, f- I feel like there's a little vicarious living in it. One of my greatest hopes is that I achieve everything I want to achieve while she can still see it. Not because I I know she's proud of me. I mean, she's she's proud of just me as a person, but I want her to share this with me. And my dad too, but like really my mom, like she just she's so fucking fabulous underneath it all. And it's just this worry has just not let her fully experience the things she could. I think so many people can relate to that. Yeah. And worry is so corrosive. It <sighs> so keeps us so small. It does. It keeps us so fucking small. It does. And I, I didn't think I had worry because I don't worry about, like I'm not a hypochondriac. I don't really have a lot of fear about danger. Like I have a pretty good uh, intuition as far as like this is a dangerous place and then we leave and then something bad like I have I don't know I, I don't feel too worrisome in that sense I have a lot more of like um, and not social anxiety in the sense of being weird at a party n- not, no offense to social anxiety people but more social anxiety in the sense of feeling like people think I'm annoying or not being included in something because everyone's mad I always think people are mad at me oh god I I'll send an email to an agent. I won't hear back. I'm like, well, they're probably at the Julia Rossi meeting where everyone in the industry has decided <laughs> you're out. Yeah. That I'm out or whatever. Um, so yeah, so it's a little bit of a, I thought, you know, cause I'm viewed it in the family as like the wild one, you know, I have a nose ring. Wow. And, uh, you know, I went to college out of state and all my, cause all my cousins stayed local and, you know, I, I'm a comedian and like, I mean, you know, I was raised by these parents who, especially Italian culture, were very open and honest with each other, but that's supposed to all stay in the house. And then my parents' worst nightmare, my sister becomes a therapist. So her whole life is about opening up and sharing and talking. Right. And then I get on stage and my parents are like, you're not going to tell people about the time we, I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and it's been really cool because in a weird way, you know, my mom has that kind of thing. She goes, 
don't talk about me. What did you say about me? You know, <laughs> and it's actually sort of helped. I think in a way it's helped us heal from some stuff because I've talked about things on stage and the reaction from people has been relating to it. And then it's sort of like showed my parents that it's okay. I, I think that's kind of been my job in the family. Like I sort of have flown away and then I come back with a worm and I drop it on their doorstep and I'm like, see, it's not, it's just a worm. And they're like, oh, like it's, it's kind of a neat like that. So that's my mom. My dad is short, angry, um, <laughs> sad, hilarious. Also very, very funny. Uh, he uses it, I think, a little bit more as a, uh, when things are getting too intimate, like we'll be at a wedding and they're giving a speech and the speech starts to get sentimental. My dad will very loudly turn to me, my sister mom, and go, ah, when are we going to start eating here? And I'm like, oh my God. Like, do you, I mean, loud enough for everyone to hear it. He's so uncomfortable. Why? Where, where do you think that comes from? Ah. <sighs> I think probably, I'm assuming he was probably raised like, you know, be a man, toughen up, that kind of stuff. So maybe he's afraid that he's going to feel overwhelmed, he's going to become overwhelmed by emotions or... Maybe. I mean, I think he's he's so... My parents want to fix everything, my dad especially. I mean, you know, both with the fact that he has like, you know, he's always carrying a hammer, like he wants to fix things in that way, show that he loves you by fixing something. So it kills him that I don't own a house, you know, because he's like, <laughs> what do I fix? Um, but also just wants to fix things like, you know, he very much like a, he's a victim blamer. You know what I mean? Like when I was a kid, if I got a cold, he'd be like, why don't you wear a jacket? You know, or like I, I'd fall and it'd be like, well, why don't you watch where you're going? Like, and it doesn't come from a mean place. It comes from like a shit. Well, I thought I did everything to protect you and it didn't. So just like, don't do that stupid. Like, you know what I mean? Like so his, his biggest fear is he's going to fail you. Yes. His, I think his biggest fear is that he's going to be a failure in general. As a man and a husband. As and a everything. Yeah, yeah. Cause he, I mean, he's, we've talked about it. He felt very much when he was younger, especially high school, he really wanted to go to college guidance counselor told him he wasn't smart enough so he has that like i'll show you kind of attitude became very self-made and real estate and still you know every now and then i'll i'll get really sentimental with him and i'll be like i'm so proud like do you understand what you did like you went from growing up on a farm in italy in italy coming to this country you're 15 didn't speak the language you graduated high school you didn't go to college and you you know, he owns tons of property all over Massachusetts. He no became one, an electrician, worked his ass off and bought property on the side. Property, yep. And just, you know, I didn't, I don't have college loans, you know, like he really, it's I mean, amazing. phenomenal all by himself. And I know there's part of him that's, but he does not go on vacation. He, you know, dresses like a homeless person. <laughs> I mean, does i don't my my biggest wish for my dad is that he would just throw caution to the wind he he wants to have enough money so that like his grandkids can go to college and it's mm -hmm. like thank you his great grandkid you know what i mean and i'm like but like what are you like what about you you know he i mean his biggest joy is like when the godfather's on tv <laughs> you know which is wonderful but like 
you can go to a movie. I get pretty excited when the Godfather yeah, is yeah, on yeah. But they're yeah. So I don't know. I just want them to like say fuck it and like take a fabulous vacation and get massages. And but their response, my dad would be like, massage. Why why I gotta pay someone to touch me? Like it's just like they they. We always make a joke about my dad that he um. He likes to be near fun, but not in the fun. Because, like, my sister would have, like, a barbecue, and she'd be like, are you going to come to the barbecue, like, with her friends? He'd be like, no, no, you have fun with the friends. But that would be when he needed to pop by mm-hmm. to, like, do yard work at the house next door. You know what I mean? Something yeah. weird. And he'd be like, oh, I'll have a hot dog. But, like, he won't sit down and eat it. He'll just sort of, like... Yeah. He wants to watch the rain, but he doesn't want to get wet. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't yeah. understand vacations. Like, or napping. You know, he he just... Oh, my God. He and I would not get along. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he always falls asleep, like, when he was, like, sitting on the couch at the mall waiting for... You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he just... he He's... My dad's obsessed with working. My mom's obsessed with worrying. And they're both super funny, but very overprotective and very afraid people. I think that's mm-hmm. the best word. Just afraid of whether it's... You know what other people think of us getting hurt, making a mistake. Oh, don't make a, if I if I had to hear the phrase "don't make a mistake" one more time in my life, life is everything in life's a are, mistake. Are you afraid of making mistakes? Oh uh, yeah, not as not as my. I, I've done a lot of like, you know, therapy or self help book, listen to this podcast, uh, yoga. Um, so I'm doing my best, but yeah, I do. I think it's it's what's held me back from. In the past, not committing to things, quitting, you know, trying a new sport or a new playing an instrument. And the second it got hard, I'd quit because I would rather I would rather be the one to say that, oh, I just didn't want to do this anymore. Fail on your own terms. Yeah, I wanted to fail my own terms. I quit comedy twice because it got hard and I someone said no to me. You know what I mean? So it's a combination of fair. It's. The fear of failing stemmed, I guess, from like a lack of having the tools of knowing to just that that being hurt and failing is a part of success rather than we'll just protect yourself from ever failing and being afraid right. and you know, being hurt or whatever. And you learn from failing. Oh, yeah. You don't learn anything from not failing. Yeah. You know, so especially as a stand-up comedian, the bad shows. Man, oh yeah, the the self-reflection after a bad show can be the biggest turning point in mm-hmm. your career as a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so that was my parents. What are your fears? Let's. Do you have your fears written down? I do. Let's uh, let's get into those. Let's get let's mix things up. Okay. Let's get crazy and go in the middle. Yeah. All right. So read all the the fears. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I'm afraid, uh, my parents will die before ever truly enjoying life at this age. Uh, I'm afraid people think I'm annoying. Just talk about that. What do you think's annoying about you? That I, I think I'm honest to the point where sometimes maybe I, like, I will tell people, Hey, I feel really hurt that I wasn't invited to this thing. And I I fear that like it gets an eye roll of like, oh God, Julia's so needy. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of thing. And I know where that comes from. I I mean, it comes from in high school. I had this horrible bully best friend that would tell me like people don't like you. No guys would ever like you. You're so annoying. I mean, she Mm -hmm. 
convinced and I'd be like no but I'm really good friends with that person she'd be like oh come on Julia please like she really gaslit me and and you were saying that you would try to kind of break up with her as a friend yeah and she wouldn't let you she wouldn't let me she she would I mean she was such a bully but then she would do really nice things and like apologize and cry like it was just it was so dysfunctional my parents hated her and I didn't, but I was like, but she's my best friend. Like, I didn't know any better. And then, then there was another incident. And it's so funny, like, these small things. Because when I think about it, I'm like, let it go, Julia. But it was my senior year of high school. And she had, she had left school at this point. So she left my high school junior year, uh, thank God, and left to go to cosmetology school. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I'll have, like, the senior year, finally, to, like, maybe be myself. So I was like, I had a group of friends and they were nice. I just think I probably, there was other people I kind of think I would have clicked with more. I really wanted to, I should have hung out with the theater kids because that's where my heart was, but I didn't think theater kids were cool and I wanted to be cool. It was the same way. I was so afraid of being labeled, a, you know. Yeah. Which is know, ridiculous. Weirdo. Meanwhile, my bestest friend in the whole world is the theater girl that I became friends with like end of senior year, you know, and, um, but my group of friends weren't that cool, <laughs> you know? They were like, they just weren't theater nerds or whatever right. it was. Whatever decision I had made in my head. And uh, th- it was like a Friday night and I called all of them to see what everyone was doing and everyone was busy. And then Monday morning, one of them told me, they were like, well, I wasn't supposed to tell you this, but we all went to the movies without you Friday and we all lied. And I was like, why? She's like, because you're like really annoying sometimes. That. How would that not kill you? But, like, I know it would, but in my head, I'm like, but there's, you know, there's people who are, like, truly abused. That, and makes, like, me, that makes me sick to my stomach, though, hearing that. I mean, yeah. that's like, I could feel the shame go from the top of my head yeah. through my face and my stomach to my feet. The, the thought of being on the other end of hearing that. Well, and I think because, you know, having been raised by these parents that protected me so much... When I felt like whenever I did get vulnerable with people, because part of the overprotective raising is like, well, you don't need to let people know that that's how you feel. Like, just, you know, we're your family. Like, well, you know, like there's a lot of being raised. Italians are always raised. Don't trust people. People are out to get you. Don't let people make a fool of you. That's a huge thing. And so then I was vulnerable with these friends. I was like, hey, I really wanted to hang out with you guys. Where were you? And then it was really sad because it was like in my little, you know, 16 year old brain. I was like, well, my parents were right. Can't trust other people. Like, don't be vulnerable, like that kind of stuff. So between the the bully best friend and then this experience, it just like put me in this headspace. Yeah. How could you have a sense of self? Yeah. Of just always worrying that people were plotting against me it's huge paranoia of mine you still have it today um not as bad just because i i i feel like i'm gonna pr- i mean i love i trust all of my friends i i've only surrounded myself with healthy good people i'm in a good relationship i have a good relationship with my family like things have gotten good but yeah i mean especially with social media mm-hmm. i go online i see a photo of an event Actually, I mean, yeah, I like there was a few years ago, I had a group of friends go on vacation without me. And uh, I found out it was because one of them was mad at me about something, but didn't confront me. And I was like, is this fucking high school? Like, Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, why am I the target of this sort of like exclusive behavior? So, but then I also am a big believer in like, um, self-fulfilling prophecies where I'm like, well, maybe I put this energy out there sometimes where it's like, if you're putting the energy out of, please don't leave me out. Then sometimes people are like, Oh, we don't really want that around. I, I, I hate that feeling though. When you realize that everybody else went yeah, went to some place and and you weren't invited. That's and when you f- find it out on Facebook, that's called getting face fucked. Yeah, I well, I listened to the guy uh, Wench episode mm-hmm. about that, and I I remember like replaying parts of it over just so I would let it drill in my head. And actually, listening to that really helped me because then I was like, "Oh, like who what was the episode on low self esteem?" I think so. And he talked about like how or loneliness. So- Probably low self-esteem. Maybe. Yeah, I think it was low self-esteem one because he talked about going on social media and it's a very real thing to feel left out. And (laughs) I mean, I'm again, I've gotten, I think now that things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram have been out for a while, I feel way more balanced with it. But like each media that came out when it first came out. I went through a horrible phase with each one of them because I would get obsessed. I would get obsessed with, you know, searching through someone's photos to see what they did without me or like searching through to see who follows me back or and and then like I hit a point where I was like, what am I doing with my time? Like that to me is a huge escape where I'm avoiding something within myself. And it, and it's so corrosive to your self-esteem that oh. you would base it on your your worth by, oh, well, oh, if this person has 10 times as many followers, then they must be. Yeah, you know, but it goes back to this high school thinking that has probably been the biggest thing that I've had to work on of trying to shake of like, oh, I guess I'm not one of the cool kids. I guess I'm not one of the cool comedians. I guess, you know, like it's that it it's a lot more in comedy than I think in in regular social life now, because it's like I actually when I got to college, that's when I really started to find more like minded people. And, you know, I was studying things that I was actually interested in because I was like an average student in high school, like C's, B's, got to college, started getting A's because I was my mind was being challenged. You know, I discovered the joy of weed. I, you know, had a boyfriend. Like, I, it was just, I finally figured things out. So I don't feel it as much with, like, my real friends anymore. It's more with the gazillions of acquaintances I now have I through comedy and the internet. It's more in terms of your place in the general world. Yeah. And, and, it, again, it, it's like, I'm sure by the time this episode comes out, I will probably hear that and be like, oh, I don't even feel that way. Because it's, I've, I don't know, like in the past couple of years, I think I've just had the most, uh, I've been the most dedicated to the undoing of this stuff. Or probably just getting older. I don't know what it is, but I just, it's gotten a lot better. It, one of the nice things about getting older is you yeah. do truly begin to care less yeah. what, what people think. Yeah, I really do. I mean, and it's not, again, like with the with the social media thing, it's not even about likes or retweets, like that stuff. Because in the beginning, it was mm. that. It's not that. It's the feeling of just, I guess it goes back to my parents being like, don't be a fool. You know, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be the one that that doesn't get included like that you're all on a fucking trip i would make up i would make these jokes where i'm like they're probably all playing charades right now going like i'm julia like that and i'm like it's not about me you know but i don't know yeah yeah i'd say that's one of my biggest 
fears. Give me, give me another one. Another fear. Uh, um, I'm afraid of. Oh God. Okay. Oh, this is a good one. I'm afraid one of these days I'll actually jump. Oh, like, you have that too. Oh, where when you're on a bridge or you're oh, on a roof, God. you're like you're afraid that there's a part of you that is going to take over. The subway is the one. Yes. Though I mean, but I also have it with the um throwing hot coffee in people's faces, holding a baby, I could throw it. I'm I I would never and my friend who was studying human development told me something I obviously don't know if this is medically, you know, what it means, but if you have those thoughts, it actually means you're a very careful person because mm-hmm. it means you're hyper aware of danger, which kind of might feed into this. I feel like I have good instinct about danger. But uh, yeah, I think I mean, I've thought I had uh, I was I'm always afraid somebody's going to bu- also bump into me or mm-hmm. push me in front of the train. So oh, I yeah. always I always back up like five, five, yeah. six feet from it look around oh yeah or like that i'm gonna trip or like mm-hmm. whatever i mean with the jumping i i mean if i was ever gonna kill myself it wouldn't be jumping anyways i'd do like the least painful i'd be a, i'd do pills <laughs> if i had to um but i've gotten i i don't i would never kill myself but i've definitely had moments where i wanted to disappear and escape mm-hmm. and i don't know the mind of someone who's actually done it obviously but I get it. Like when I hear that someone's killed themselves, I'm never like, how could anyone do that? Like, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote a suicide letter before, threw it away. <laughs> how old were you? Uh, it was right after I got divorced. So um, not that long ago. Not that, no, not that long ago. Yeah. What, what was the stuff that was leading to you feeling that way? Well, so what happened with me was I, so I graduated college and I had, uh, I stayed with my college boyfriend throughout my entire 20s, which was great to help me avoid not growing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's a wonderful person. We're still friends. He was one of my best friends. And um, if I had to redo my 20s over, I probably would have broken up with him right after college, got done whatever, found myself, blah, blah, blah. That's not how it went. So we stayed together. And I don't think I, he, he was, um, he is, you know, all American, you know, very functional family, or at least what it seems. And, uh, parents very much in love, you know, my parents are, they exist. Uh, and Your parents you know, argue a lot. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they often will say, you know, well, we love, we love you. You know, who else is going to take us at this point? You know, that kind of, it's almost like a reality show, like whoever's going to, go first which means they're both going to be here till 102 so that's good uh but you know he seemed like he grew up with a really healthy example of like romantic love and love and all that stuff and you know whatever and uh i don't really think i had a lot of room to explore my shit in that because he his reaction to me when i would get really upset about stuff was like oh let me take you to dinner and it was a little bit more of that overprotective stuff. And I don't, he didn't do it because he, that's we were kids and mm-hmm. wanted to protect me. And so I think I went from being having parents that protected me from truly going deep with my pain and failing and all that stuff into a relationship where it was very safe. And so when that ended, so basically when I got married, I knew I was probably going to get divorced because I got married 
when I was feeling really down and I hated my career and I mm-hmm. thought it was time and I should. I got married because I thought I should get married. And I very dramatically quit comedy and moved to the suburbs of Boston into a house my dad owned across the street from my high school to really, you know, because that feels good. And uh, I got married and I was a mess. That was probably the most I was ever drinking, the most I was ever eating, like just uh, stay out really late, like completely behaved inappropriately for someone who was engaged and married and just was just a mess and so when we split i uh there was this one night it was like about a week after we split and i um i i told this guy that i you know oftentimes i think when you are about to go through a breakup or a divorce or whatever there's sometimes someone who will come into your life as a messenger that you think is gonna be the next person you fall in love with but they're really just there to let you know you shouldn't be in the relationship you're mm-hmm. in, if that makes sense. So I thought my the mess this guy, the messenger, was going to be my next boyfriend. I had been out of my marriage for a week, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I was like, oh, I was panicking. And he essentially, in you know, no other terms, told me, you know, why would I want to be with someone going through a divorce? And I was like devastated by this. But what I was devastated by was the fact that I was alone for the first time in my life. And I remember going home and I was really upset and I felt like there was nobody that I could talk to about it because my best friend was gone, my husband. And I didn't really know who to call as far as friends because I felt like I was being a real asshole because I just got rid of this guy who was great. My husband was great to try and hook up or whatever with this guy who wanted nothing to do with me. And I was like, well, who's going to want to hear this? Story? Like, I'm a jerk. You know what I mean? I just had my parents spend all this money on this wedding that I didn't want. Like, I just felt the most shame and guilt I've ever felt in my life. And, and loneliness on top of it. Oh, God. I felt like the I've never felt that alone in my life because I'm I'm really good about when I feel down, you know, I'll take space for myself, but I'll like call a friend or go to my therapist. Like, I really... I'm really good at asking for help for the most part, but this was one of those ones where I was like, I don't deserve help. Like I'm just fucking garbage. And I remember crying the most I'd ever cried. And I wrote drafts of a suicide note. And (laughs) I talk about this on my show, so I don't mean to be like quoting my show, but the, the, I'm so glad the drafts were so shitty because I kept writing and I was like, Oh, is it spelled wrong? And I was like, kept throwing all the drafts (laughs) in the garbage and I didn't have my glasses on and I didn't have my contacts because my eyes were like so puffy from crying. And I saw, I thought it was a hairball next to the trash can, but it was actually a cockroach. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that. So I picked it up with my bare foot to throw the hairball in the garbage. And then it climbed up, it climbed up me and it like woke me up. Like it just snapped me out of this. Again, I don't think I could have gone. Th- I didn't even have a plan on how I was going to kill myself. I just wanted the note written just in case I didn't get through the day it sounds too like you just wanted you also wanted to get your feelings out yes in a way that you could have some objectivity about what the fuck you were feeling yeah i mean i, I didn't even get through every draft i wrote one sentence and threw it away i mean it was like it was it made it was making no sense and then so i ended up spending the next hour trying to kill the roach and then i kind of forgot not forgot but i was like all right like i can if i can do this which doesn't sound like a, but I, I, I am the biggest 
biggest baby with bugs, mice. Like, I don't know if I ever have kids and they're like, mommy, there's a <laughs> spider in the room. I'm going to be like, sorry, like I can't, I'm sure I'll change. But, uh, so the fact that I was able to kill this roach was so huge to me. And I had called. So when I saw the roach, I'd called my husband at work and I was like, there's a roach in the apartment. And he was like, what? We're divorced. Fig- yeah, like figure this out. And it was so symbolic of like, and he wasn't being mean. He has a right to say that, but it was so symbolic of, it wasn't just like figure out how to kill this roach. It was like, like figure out your life. Like you can't keep hiding behind people. So it was actually one of the, the best moments of my life in retrospect. Cause it was like such an awakening that I had been so afraid of things. Yeah. So afraid to be alone. Oh, yeah. Just so afraid to be alone. That's probably, that's where, gosh, I guess that's probably where, like, the afraid of being left out, afraid people are talking about me, because I'm, whenever I, so, like, when I find out that someone doesn't like me, very rare, because I'm charming, but, uh, <laughs> but whenever I think someone doesn't like me, I'm I'm very, well, one of my other fears, I'm very afraid of having ever hurt somebody um, by mistake and not knowing it. Because I, I never want to hurt someone on purpose. I feel bad, you know, for people I've dated that I don't talk to anymore just because it's a healthy thing. But I feel I feel bad that they think I hate them. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So whenever I get a vibe that someone doesn't like me or hear someone doesn't like me, I feel bad if I hurt them. And then I get afraid that they're now going to tell everyone that I'm a horrible person. I do too. And I then I'm going to be alone. Yes, I have that. I, in fact, I was just talking about that in therapy last week. Yeah, I was saying that's that that's a fear. Yeah, it's it's a huge fear. Like I that I don't have an accurate view of who I really am. Yeah. That I'm actually uh, a terrible person, and or or just uncomfortable to be around. Like people endure me. Yeah, but but this is the weird thing though, and I'm very aware of it. And my my therapist calls it your head versus your heart. And I, I think I'm going to say the the right, but like my heart, I know that I'm great. Like I really do. And it's it also, it's kind of like, I, I, I don't know if I said on this one or the one that didn't record, but like, it's the same way. Like I know my mom thinks she's like gorgeous and smart and funny because she said it, but then something will shift and she'll think she's garbage. And my dad, I know that he's proud of himself and that he thinks he's done well because he's he carries it like that, but then something he'll get in a mood and all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I've accomplished nothing. So my whole family, and I think my sister too, like we all have this like very black white kind of view. So like, I know that I'm sweet and kind and funny and, and all these qualities that make me a likable person. But then something will like shift in my head. Like, someone will look at me the wrong way or the mood I'm in and I'm like oh I'm a fraud yeah like they're gonna figure out that I it's like the bottom drops off and all of a sudden you're just like I didn't know there was a trap door oh god it's it that is a terrible feeling it is a terrible terrible feeling feeling. and I I feel like the, the my heart is winning more as I get older like where because the funny thing is, is that every time I've done something that I thought, like, for example, like when I got divorced, I mean, one of my biggest fears was that my ex-husband and his 
his all his friends and all our mutual I thought my family I thought everyone was gonna hate me that was how I felt too when I was writing this letter I was like everyone hates me I have never been so supported in my life I mean his his friends like we had to go to, we went to a wedding together while we were going through the divorce just we mm-hmm. had plans to do and I mean his friends came up to me pulled me aside and they're like look no matter what happens just know like we've always loved you and I'm like really and like actually recently I got uh he has a new girlfriend he has kids with his girlfriend and we connected on Facebook um and I wrote her and was like I think this is so cool that like you guys seem so happy together and she was like oh my god all he every time your name has come up he has said nothing but the nicest like you seem like one of the best people ever and it's like yeah of course he said the nicest things you know what i mean like we had a very like we're both loving wonderful people but that that fear for like so long of like i'm a horrible person because i'm making a decision for myself Mm -hmm. that's really what it is i think the biggest fear is like doing something that's going to make me happy other people are going to think that i'm selfish or an asshole well who does she think she is and i know i get that from my parents because they my mom's not going to travel the world and be this fabulous woman because she is supposed to be a mom and what will people think and my dad's not going to go blow all his money because you know what will people like it's in his mind it's blowing all his money yeah meanwhile it's like you're going and get a a pizza without a coupon you know what i mean (laughs) like it's not even but yeah it's it's that it's like and i think a lot of people go through it's it's like that marianne williamson quote of like our biggest fear is not that we're inadequate it's you know the one i'm talking about is that we're magnificent or something yeah it's like our our biggest fear is not our darkness but our light or whatever it's mm-hmm. just basically about like our biggest fears that we're actually wonderful mm-hmm. and because then you're in a state of vulnerability because your your defense is yeah down. it's so much to me it's so much safer to think that i'm this flawed person that yeah. people don't want to be around because i know how to operate from that well and then, place. You're, not, and then you're not a fool yes you know what i mean so if i know that i'm shit and then someone calls me shit. I'm like, yeah, I knew that all along. Right. You know? That's why I make us fun of myself first. Yeah, is exactly. Because I, I don't, you know, it's why I'll say something embarrassing about myself yeah. on the podcast. Because the worst thing would be to hear to somebody say, hey, did you hear you know, such and yeah, such yeah, about, yeah. about somebody? But it, but then, and but the thing is that after a while, though, what ends up happening is that People don't want to be, not you, but people won't want to be around somebody like that, not because they were ever annoying to begin with. I've been making this joke of like, you know, people say like, I suffer from anxiety and depression. I'm like, my friends are the ones that suffer from anxiety and depression (laughs) because they're constantly like, you know, how how much can you talk about? Like, you know, but, but also talking about it, that's why I love doing comedy about this stuff because Mm. people relate. You know, and that's really, at the end of the day, it's all I really want out of this world is to, like, talk about this shit, laugh about it, and just be like, what else can we do, you yeah. know? I mean, I guess you could jump, but <laughs> I really want to. <laughs> give, me, give me another fear. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm afraid of not having kids. Then I'll miss my window. I think I want them. <laughs> um, and then I think I'm also afraid to have kids. Because I know they're, they're going to have something fucked up with them. 
And it's probably my fault. It's the responsibility of having kids that has <sighs> kept me from ever. Yeah. I, I look at what parents have to do in a single day yeah. to be a parent, and that that's a deal breaker my, for me, let I mean, alone 18 years. My sister is one of the best moms, and I don't just say that because she's my sister, but and it's like, it's nonstop. And also just now, like, I'm afraid to have kids in a technological, because, I mean, it's I'm overwhelmed with it at this point. I can't even imagine what's going to be out there when I have kids that are like 10, 15. Porn being... Oh, cyberbullying sent, sent into their pupils i just have you watched black mirror Mm-mm. oh god if what is it black mirror is this british mini series uh, no no it's a series but it's sort of like twilight zone where you can each episode is its own story there's only six episodes and it's all about the future and technology and it is but it's it's set modern or current or whatever it is such a mind trip because mm. it's going to happen. Have you seen Idiocracy? Oh, I love Idiocracy. I mean, that's already what's happening. Yeah. That's one of my biggest fears. I get more, you know, again, maybe this is like another age thing too, but like more and more my uh, sadness it used to be more inward. Now I get more sad about like the state of the world. I do too. Because I have done all this work on myself to like myself and be a good person and be kind and compassionate. And then I see people who are just such monsters succeed and it makes me panic about where do I fit? You know, like I don't I don't have that about where do I fit? I I have a fear that they're just going to keep gaining more and more power. Well, and that's what I mean. And the gap between rich and poor is just going to keep getting worse and worse. And then it's just going to be a a, a revolution that's chaos and every man for himself. And there's no secure food or water. Oh, God. And people roaming the streets with shotguns. And you got to put bars on your windows. and, And I'll have no choice but to have to buy a gun. And uh, and to defend myself, and I'll have to shoot somebody to survive. Oh that's, gosh, that's where my brain goes. Oh, so my brain goes. <laughs> Why is that asshole getting an hour special? <laughs> <laughs> I went through that in my thirties. Yeah, 30s. I yeah, went through yeah, that yeah. in my thirties. But but no, but more so, I guess my no. You know what it is? I my where I said like, where do I belong or fit? I just you know, and people minimize this a lot, but I don't think it's something to minimize the fact that you can go on the internet create a fake account, say horrible things to other people without taking any responsibility and being held accountable. It is like, forget forget the fact that it's hurtful and mean and stupid. It's like just poison. You know what I mean? It's, it's bad energy. It's traveling into one person's eyes to another person's fingertips to another person's eyes. And I know it's like, yeah, well, don't read comments. It's I'm not talking about me getting hurt because like I mean it like that stuff hardly bothers me anymore. It doesn't feel good, but I don't take mm-hmm. it to heart. I'm not going to quit comedy because someone didn't like my video. But I'm just saying what gets me sad is the fact that there are people who do this, do especially because when you think about it, you have to sign up for an email address, make a fake account, find a fake photo, get it approved. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the steps you have to go to to be mean that's what scares me that people and then there's like and that, and that, that that's their choice of how to spend their time that day how much pain must they be in yeah to to, to want to to do that i i really i i empathize i mean i get really furious but i also just but then i think on top of that what makes me sad is 
that we have a culture that I think rewards that in a way because a, there is entertainment out there that's really mean spirited and there is but that has no longevity it doesn't I hope so it doesn't S- stuff that stuff that has love in it that that stuff always has longevity and that's the stuff that positively um, sends ripples out into the world that truly changes people's lives for the yeah. for the better that's the you know you you see a, a you know that professor Randy, uh, I forget what his name is, who who he gave a lecture uh, when he had terminal cancer about you know do this while you're alive, do that while you're alive, you know. And he said, "I'll just just love out into the universe," yeah. and uh, you know stuff like that. That's the stuff that people are going to remember. They're not when they're on their deathbed and they look back on their lives and the things that influenced them and brought meaning to their lives they're not going to think of the asshole that said something on facebook to them yeah. they're going to think about oh that person that inspired me yeah and then that changed my life and i did this and i inspired that you're going to think about the chain the chain of inspiration in your life that's the, that's my opinion yeah is no, that the, is that's right. the stuff that is the cement of our spiritual lives and our you know our emotional lives i guess i just want more of that i just feel like there's just so much do you, have you ever done any volunteer work, volunteer work or anything like that? Um, I've done some volunteer work. I, um, I want to do more of it. Like it's something that I've I've keep saying I'm going to do and then I don't. It's a great place to start. It's a real and it's a great antidote to that mean voice in your head that tells you yeah. you're a piece of shit. You're three steps behind the universe. Yeah, you're not doing enough with your life. You know your life is going to be forgettable. That, yeah. that thing, you, that part of your brain just shuts down yeah. on that on that day at least when you when you do some nice thing expecting nothing in in return those at least for me those are the days um that uh i f- rest my head on my pillow and i just go to sleep like a baby yeah yeah i i i tried to do um years ago well so i was hmm, bulimic ish i say ish only because i um such I'm so bad at committing mm-hmm. the, the whole quitting thing. Um, I didn't fully uh, give into it. <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes any sense. But I, uh, that was like a few years of my life in college and right after college. And I tried to start doing speaking and like stuff like that around it. And I tried to make it funny and like I was trying to incorporate like humor with it. And it just, I couldn't do it. I kept meeting people that uh, were really more in need of true help and not just like, me being cute and doing vomiting mm-hmm. jokes. You know what I mean? So sometimes I've tried to do a lot of things that incorporate humor into kind of healing stuff, but it doesn't always go the way that I want it to, if that makes any. I tried to do that with my stand-up for 20 years. And yeah. I could never, I could just could never get to that. It just never rang true. It's like the comedy club wasn't the place. Well, but you know, I did have, I think one of the, the my best moments ever and I was really young when this happened, too. It was my early 20s. And I was at the comedy store, and I was doing a show in the main room. And I did a joke about having, like, you know, a, a scary Italian dad that's, like, you know, throwing his fists in the air. And just, you know, I got really, like, I just started heavily talking about what it's like being raised in an immigrant home. And the room was dead quiet. Everyone was so uncomfortable. It's It suddenly wasn't comedy. But there was this one Hispanic guy in the front who was like covering his face, crying, I mean, crying, laughing. <laughs> and so I just turned to him and I was like, 
you have immigrant parents, do you? And he was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, did you guys used to beat the shit out of you? He's like, yes. And he was, he just let out this like hysterical, maniacal laugh. And I just started laughing with him. And then the whole room started laughing. And then we just like, <laughs> we just, I just like kind of played all my jokes to him. And it was like, whenever I feel like shit about comedy, I think about that moment. And I'm like, I want more of that. Like that to yes. me is why I do all of this because it's helped me heal. It's helped, you know, I show, I, my dad uh, has not seen me do stand up. He's, well, I mean, think about it. If he's the kind of guy who will punch, I mean, if someone did, I can imagine him being like, you didn't laugh and like hitting them. You know what I mean? He'd be mm-hmm. so protective, but I've showed him videos of me doing comedy and I showed him, I didn't have that show taped, but I had a, a set taped where I made fun of my dad's temper and I showed it to him and I was like, are you mad? And he was like, eh, I mean, it happened. And it was just this like really cool moment of it happened. So yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about it, go for it. It's funny. And it, it what else can you do? Yeah. You know? So that's kind of been a neat thing. Give me another fear. I'm afraid I'll never be able to fully express the thoughts that I have. I get really excited. I have a million movies, speeches, books. <laughs> I try to write as much as I can, but then it's like, well, then you got to get the funding and this and that. Like, I just, and not even just that I'm not going to have time to get all the things, but I mean, even just getting i always wish i could just put like a little machine in my brain and have it type it up for me because Mm -hmm. i don't even sometimes know how to fully express what i'm trying to say i get so excited um and also just typing is like so exhausting i really did you ever take typing classes no oh it's the i for all the problems that (laughs) my mom has uh bestowed upon me her telling me almost making me take a typing class in high school i am so so grateful oh, for. Re- oh wait no i think we did take typing and i think it was a, a requirement to do a typing class i don't know if ours was a requirement but it was one of the things i'm most grateful for. yeah are you afraid that you're going to die and not have been fully known now i don't mean known in terms of fame but known your emotional life and who you the core of you won't be won't be known or recognized no really i don't think i am i think i used to be i've had in the past especially six months i've i've melt i also went back on zoloft so maybe that helped (laughs) (laughs) just a little just a little 50 milligrams um or five milligrams whatever the little half a pill is but um and i started doing yoga Oh yeah, yoga is great. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I I hear <laughs> I've done I've done yoga since college, but sporadically. And I just my boyfriend and I just started going about three four times a week together, mm-hmm. and it has calmed me down significantly. Yeah. I'm working my way up to it. I'm doing yogurt. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Uh, that might be a great joke or the worst joke ever. <laughs> ever I made. love a terrible joke. Yeah. So. All right. Um. I mean, I don't. I, well, okay. Here's how my brain works. I just said no, and then a little part of me was like, wow, you sound, sound pretty confident in yourself there, Julia. Like, <laughs> and now someone's going to be listening to this and being like, well, who does she think she is thinking she'll fully be known? Um, I have these moments where after I say something, I truly don't know if I sound like a nice guy or an asshole. Yeah. 
but but the, but the thing that I'm learning, and again, what, all these things I say, I'm not saying I fully embodied them, but I'm starting to try to convince myself. Look, people know I'm not an ass. If you really know me, you know that I'm a good person. I'm allowed to brag a little bit here and there, you know, mm-hmm. like the considering the amount of people that brag nonstop and what are they even talking about? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's no one's going to think you're an ass. It's going to I feel like it's going to take a lot for someone to think there's some leeway between being confident and being a, a, an annoying brat. Yeah. There, you know, it's yeah. not hard to, to be in that middle ground. Yeah. But I, I guess I mean, yeah, I, I I hope that people fully get who I am. I feel very I have an, my sister and I, we have like almost like a twin relationship. So I feel, do you, is that what you mean? Like really understood by someone? Yeah. 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 Understood by, you know, enough people that you feel like um, you left an, an emotional legacy. In other words, where, where there was somebody looks back at, you know, let's say you pass away and somebody will remember you and there won't be any mistaking as to what was really going on inside oh, you as a person i mean i don't know if that's even the people understand your pain your joys yeah. your dreams your I... fears that's what that's what i want yeah. to be yeah i want to be known because i i i don't know why i i think people well i mean i think they will first of all because you have a podcast where you're sharing so much about yourself and you have such a fan base from it i mean I feel like I knew you very well before I came in here and I'm sitting in a predominantly empty building, I think, with a complete stranger. So I, I, I'm, I you feel, feel safe. You feel relatively safe. Yeah, I feel pretty safe. No, um, but yeah, I mean. It's probably one of the reasons why I keep doing the podcast. You know, when people say to me, you know, that's it's such a, uh, you know, a grand gesture on your part to do the podcast. I always say I get as much from it as people do that listen yeah. to it. Well, that's, I mean, that's how I feel about my comedy, my solo show. I know my solo show helped a lot of people, predominantly me first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel like right now I'm in a place in my life between, I've like I was, my sister and I, we have like a twin uh, sisterhood. So I feel extremely understood in, in the sense of I don't even have to tell her what I'm thinking and she gets it. I feel pretty understood by my parents. Um, I have friends that I can't even believe aren't related to me that understand me. And I feel the most understood uh, in the relationship that I like. I've never felt this understood by a with your boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. Like it, this, that's something like and I could cry right now. I feel so understood by him. It's nice. How long have you guys been together? It's uh, it'll be a year at the end of June. Um, and he has never really had a long, like a super long term mm-hmm. relationship. He's, he's enjoyed himself. And, uh, and I, I was, I gave myself a full year of being single. Cause I went, so I got, I was married, divorced. I got into another relationship a few months after the divorce immediately. Cause that's what happens to people sometimes. And then I was like, I've been in relationships for 11 years nonstop. Like, what am I doing? So I think a lot of this, uh, shift in my thinking has been a result of i i just had a year alone i dated i hooked up i you know but mm. i i had a lot of space to but sit no in, committed no committed i could sit in the shower and weep 
without anyone knocking on the door and being like, are you okay? Can I help? Like, I didn't want help. I just wanted to feel. It was were, excruciating. Were you crying about anything in particular? Everything. Fe- loneliness? Uh, nope. Not loneliness. Feel like I just... Well, because Sadness? I, yeah. And also just letting myself feel it. Because I think I said earlier, I'm really good about when I'm feeling sad. I'll, I can reach out to someone. And what I learned the that year that I had on my own was because I always had someone, I always had a boyfriend or a friend or a family member I could go to. And I, I started to teach myself to, when I was feeling upset, rather than call somebody to make me feel better, which there's nothing wrong with doing that at times. Right. But every now and then I'd be like, I'd pick up the phone to call my sister or someone. I'd be like, let me see what it feels like to not call anyone and just sit and let... And embrace it. Yep. And let whatever memory, insecurity, paranoid thought flow through me. And basically, I mean, very similar to bulimia, like vomited up via tears. Mm-hmm. And it felt almost like ex- like an exorcism in a way. That's the light, the lightest feeling afterwards. The lightest I- feeling when you just, and it, sometimes I didn't even know why I was crying. I just wanted to f- like really feel and have nobody protect me, have nobody tell me it was going to be okay. Just like. I mean, I cried about everything. I cried about those girls that didn't invite me to the movies. I cried about, you know, the, my dad saying this, my mom, you know, like everything. And it, yeah, I'm not saying I, there was definitely a shift in my being after that year. And it's so, it's sort of no wonder that I met this person who we just light each other up. Very, very positive influence in my life. Well, let's do a couple of uh, loves. loves. I know you're you're pressed for time to oh, get out of man, here. Oh man, I don't want to leave. Okay, um, let's see. I love um, I love eating in bed. I love the when you're listening to the old uh, Blue Note jazz records, and you can just barely you can't really tell what they're saying, but you can hear the band members talking to each other while somebody's soloing, mm. or, you know, or in between solos, and you just. It, it's so intimate. There's like there is no musical recording that mm-hmm. that is more intimate than than those old fifties and sixties, like at the Village Vanguard mm. jazz records. I love uh, looking at uh, pictures of people when they were kids, myself yeah. included. Yeah, I love pictures of me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sh- for admitting that. Yeah, <laughs> I do too because there's a. It's almost like a reminder, like oh, I do exist. Oh, yeah. I do exist. God I d- damn it. Was I cute? Yeah. Yeah. Give uh, me another one. I love the the bond that I have with my sister over television as far as like sitcoms. Like I'll get a text from her at like 2 a.m. She's like, what was the name of the guy on the Jeffersons with the hat? <laughs> like that. And then we'll just, ca- we cackle, laugh together. I love the sound of her cackle. I love seeing siblings laugh together. I oh. love, love seeing that. Or families laughing together. Oh, God. Together. Yeah. I, although I feel a little jealous. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty jealous. Really jealous. There's some, there's there's moments sometimes where the four of us, my sister, mom, my dad, and my, my mom, we will be laughing to the point of tears in public over something no one else would get it mm-hmm. and it's like and then sometimes you're la- and you're crying and you're like i don't even know what i'm feeling right mm-hmm. now but it's just ugh, it's the best my family has never done that uh, one time i remember uh, us all laughing together and we were all drunk <laughs> 
well, it happened, right? Yeah, it was nice. Um, I love being Italian. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I do. I, I think we're so fucked up, but God, I love it. Florence is probably my favorite city in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Give me another one. Um, I love dancing like a stripper. Really? Just, I love whether I'm home or if I'm at like out, I'll start doing splits and whipping my hair around. And I just like, don't, I, <laughs> I just don't give a shit when I'm, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Give me another one. Uh, I love, um, oh, I love travel brochures and travel websites. I could sit on like orbits or booking mm-hmm. or one of those websites and just look at hotel room amenities. Mm-hmm. Because I love hotels. It definitely started when I was a kid. I uh, I wanted my I wanted my family to go to Disney World. I was like seven, and those ads for Kissimmee St. Cloud would come on the TV. Do you remember those? Is that in Florida? Yeah, it was like, yeah. but it was near Disney World or whatever. And they would have eight hundred numbers to order catalogs. We would get catalogs in the mail. I would just order Florida catalogs every week and just let I look at them and I'd hang them up. And then we finally went to Disney World after I pestered them. I just love hotels. I enjoy looking, uh, it's almost like pornography, looking at land for sale. And I'll look at parcels that there's no way that we could afford, but I'm like, then I picture myself living, you know, Mm -hmm. in a cabin on that plot overlooking, you Mm -hmm. know, that bay in Alaska. And it's just like a little, it's like a little escape. Yeah. Uh, I love being proven wrong about somebody. Like, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I love when I, don't think so like when i don't think i like someone or they don't like me or when i think someone's an asshole and then it turns out they're a really great oh person. i thought you meant the other way around like, oh no 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 okay. i i mean it i mean it when i don't get a good vibe from somebody see, and, then, and then i'm surprised by how cool they are i love the relief when you thought somebody was mad at you but then there's a reason why yeah. they didn't call you back or text you or something because yeah, they like have a that. life <laughs> yeah because yeah, they're not next to their phone the whole time yeah. oh god but i know that feeling um, gosh, uh, I love mutual understanding. That's a good one. Yeah. I love lingering with my laptop, uh, eating a lox bagel sandwich and drinking coffee. I like running my battery all the way down on my laptop. Yeah. But then there's something nice about, uh, I don't know, it's almost kind of an OCD-ish thing. Like, yeah. Like I gave my laptop a workout. And yeah, now, yeah. Now I'm going to recharge it again. Like it like it purged itself. Yeah. Like my like my laptop got to take a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I love the sound. Uh, I always put the volume up when I'm emptying the garbage on the on the laptop. That crunchy. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah, it feels light. Yeah. And my like, laptop's a little lighter now. Oh, I love doing tech, uh, technology purges. Mm-hmm. I love throwing stuff away. Mm-hmm. Love it. This is a total audiophile one, but I love old, um, actually they make new ones now too, but Universal Audio is an audio maker. This is this gear that this piece, my laptop is sitting on right now is one. And they have some gear that has the old school like needles and it lights up and it just, it kind of glows and the sound is also fucking amazing on their gear. But I just... Uh, I just love the look of an old piece of, of mm-hmm. a vintage piece of audio gear that yeah. that has just pristine, warm sound to it. 
Nice. Yeah. Give me one more and we'll, and we'll let you get on your way. I love... Um, gosh, I love cheetah print and gold and like gaudy sort of you are italian i know but i like but i like it in like a like a cool hip like vintage you know yeah like a i don't know uh like a, a boudoir you know what i mean like mm-hmm. a old den with like i don't know i want to live in like a lounge you would like my office my yeah. office has a velvet ceiling oh yes then, and then i have a little hand painted uh, you know how low at christmas lights can you know those little, yeah, little yeah. globes little tiny and they're hand painted and they circle all around the the ceiling of it the center light has been replaced by a red light in the oh ceiling my God. and then all of the walls are vintage um jazz album covers love it yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, like that. It's it's like I told the person that helped me uh, decorate it. I said I want it to be an opium den, and they're yes. like, I understand, and they knew exactly what That's to awesome. what to do. Cool, Julia. Thank you so much for, for coming so much. and uh, and sharing your life with us. And um, if people want to get a hold of you or mm-hmm. come check you out, they can go to your website. Yes, and it's spelled G I U L I A R O Z Z I. Yes. dot com. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Many, many thanks to uh, to Julia. Uh, and that episode will uh, soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. Yeah, that episode with Julia uh, was recorded almost two years ago. I record more episodes than I can air, and so a lot of times people's episodes get backlogged, and then they think that I hate them. Um, and I don't. I don't. I want to tell you about Zola. When you need to buy a wedding present for somebody, uh, why not do it in a way that is easy as possible and helps you get what the bride and the groom want, or the bride and the bride and the groom and the groom. Um, Zola is a wedding registry uh, where couples can register for the brands they want on an easy-to-use platform with the ability to personalize everything with notes and photos. It's a registry that feels like them. Uh, Zola is a one-stop registry. It works directly with 450 brands, so the happy couple can find whatever they want in one place. Brands like KitchenAid, SoulCycle, La Crissette, Sonos, Ralph Lauren, and more. Um, it's the highest-rated registry app. Uh, on iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Uh, couples can have gifts shipped now, later, or exchange them for something else. Group gifting, multiple guests can contribute to bigger ticket gifts. And Zola offers price matching to make gift giving even easier for your guests. And couples will receive 10% off the entire site for a year to complete their registry. So, Zola is a wedding registry that will do anything for love. All the gifts, experiences, and funds you want all in one place. Listeners receive $50 when you register and use Zola. Visit zola.com slash mental for details. That's zola.com slash mental. want to also tell you about uh, ZipRecruiter. I, you know what? I want to give uh, some thanks to ZipRecruiter for being um, such a consistent sponsor on the show. Um, it really helps a lot. That and the donations from you guys uh, help keep this this train chugging along. Uh, so, ZipRecruiter, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because posting it in one place 
isn't enough. If you want to find the perfect hire, you got to post your job on all the job sites, and now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes. You can add multiple people to your account to make it the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus sites, including social media networks. ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. You can find them in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and then watch it roll in. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. If you have any issues, ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. So find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. Uh, right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time. Let's do it in threes. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. Madison Reed is a new company that's completely changing the hair color industry, giving you a better option, whether you color at home, at the salon, or both. It's the first ever at-home hair color that gives long-lasting gray coverage without many of the harsh ingredients found in other hair colors, like ammonia or PPD. And our listener, Kat, tried it out and absolutely loves it. Wrote a beautiful email uh, all about it. Anyways, you'll notice a difference right away. No harsh chemical smell, soft, shiny hair, and unbelievable shine. The color is rich, multi-tonal, and natural-looking. Madison Reed color is as good as or better than what you get at the salon, all for a fraction of the cost and time of the salon. Madison Reese, (laughs) Madison Reese, who's that? Madison Reed also has a love guarantee. If you're not completely loving your hair, their staff of licensed colorists will send you a new color kit on them. And if you're still not satisfied, they'll give you your money back. No risk, all reward. So go to madison-reed.com and find your perfect shade. Visit today to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit when you use the code HAPPY. That's madison-reed.com, offer code HAPPY. And all of these links will be uh, on the website. Uh, as I mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier, I uh, recorded this almost two years ago with uh, with Julia. And uh, one of the things I forgot to mention is she is now doing a podcast called uh, Hopefully We Don't Break Up. And uh, she's doing it with her boyfriend, uh, who, who she's still with. And uh, they talk to other couples about love, how they met, how they stay together, stuff like that. And um, you can find out more about it at uh, hopefullywedontbreakup.com. And I'll put all these links on the uh, on the website. Uh, I decided to mix it up a little bit with the, with the interviews uh, or the uh, surveys this week. You know, usually the bulk of the surveys that we read are from the shame and secret survey and from the struggle in a sentence survey and also the uh, happy moments and awful some moments. And I just wanted to take a little break from the, uh, the struggle in a sentence and the shame and secret survey. And so I kind of delved back into uh, a survey that I haven't read from in a while, and it's called the Shouldn't Feel This Way uh, survey. And I'm just going to read. This one is was filled out by Venus the girl, and uh, she's straight, 
in her 20s, was raised in a stable and safe environment. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? I would like people to say that I was bright and adventurous, that I was always a faithful friend who gave sage advice, advice that I practiced in my life too. How does writing that make you feel? It feels weird. I think people are supposed to say nice things about you at your funeral, but writing out what I want them to say feels disingenuous. Lately, my depression and anxiety tell me I shouldn't brag on myself, even in my own head, that I don't deserve it, that my past accomplishments don't matter if I'm not making strides in the present. Wow, you are so hard on yourself. You, What you said, you know, that you'd like people to say, it was so beautiful. And it's amazing how the mean part, and I totally identify with you kicking the shit out of yourself. Um, um but it's amazing how we can say something so beautiful and just think, oh, you know, I'm being so full of myself. I'm going to wager a guess that uh, Venus was raised in a uh, an environment that was maybe a little emotionally invalidating. Could be wrong, but uh, if you had a time machine, how would you use it? You can't change history. You can only observe it. I can only say that I would stay out of mine and my family's history. Not that it's all traumatic or anything, but it makes me squeamish. That is actually a very rare answer for this one because the most common answers are people want to go back and observe either their parents when they were first married, their parents' childhood, or their own childhood. Those Those are the big ones. Um... Write as many of these as you feel. I'm supposed to feel blank about blank, but I don't. I feel blank. I'm supposed to feel proud about my accomplishments, but I don't. I feel like I'm paralyzed and will never move forward again. How does it make you feel writing your feelings out? Actually, kind of good. I was having one of those down days where I stay trapped in my head all day, feeling like my chest will burst and a nasty green anxiety goblin will jump out. It's hard to talk to actual people, even loved ones, whenever I feel this way. So this is kind of therapeutic. Do you think it's abnormal for feeling what you do? Not really. But some people around me make me feel like I am, or that even with medication and therapy, I should be, quote, over my latest valley already. Uh, That's why I created this survey. The shoulds. Oh, the fucking shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? It would make me feel less alone on days like today. Well, Venus, you are not alone by any stretch of the imagination, and thank you for filling that out. Um, I also decided to print out um, some of people's answers just to the time machine question, You know, which is, if you had a time machine, how would you use it? You can't change history. You can only observe it. So I'm going to read a bunch of those. Uh, if I can't change history, I would like to see exactly what happened last night. I passed out on a friend's couch and later found out that a man had sex with my sleeping body. I've only heard pieces and parts, and because I was passed out, I will never know exactly what happened that night. I'm so, so sorry that you experienced that. Um, I can't imagine how much that that thought must um, plague you. Um, You... If you're interested, you might listen to the episode. If you have any interest in hearing a story that is similar to yours, you might listen to um, the Heather Marlowe episode or the Joanne Butaro uh, episode. They were both um, uh, drugged and um, assaulted. 
but sending you some love. Mm. Uh, another person said, I go to the Middle Ages and hang out for a while and see how people live their lives without things like cars, computer, and meth, and with things like feudal society and the bubonic plague. Do a little problem swapping. I think I could maybe deal with my shit better after that. <laughs> that is a great one. That is a great one. Wouldn't it be funny if you went back and they were making the first batch of meth? Right there next to the, the iron for the sword. Um, this next one. If I couldn't change history, uh, I would take a time machine b- back to April of this year, fly to my family in Alaska and be with my uncle before he was killed. If I could observe history, I would want to see who shot him and his co-worker so I could tell my family and justice could be served. Wow, some heavy, heavy answers. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next one says, I'd like, and these are all different people, by the way. Uh, the next one says, I'd like to see my parents when they were married. They finalized their divorce when I was three, and I can't imagine how they would have been together. I'd also like to see what they were like when they were in their 20s and my age. And I'd like to see my childhood that I've decided not to remember. And the next one says, would I know then what I know now? If so, I would go to 9:23:95 at the abortion clinic and maybe I would have been stronger and have walked out instead of going through with it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what what regret around such a heavy topic would feel like. Um, so I can't pretend to know, but I'm sending you some some love. And speaking of shame um, or regret, um, you know, one of the things that I really struggle with is um, boundaries, uh, especially with um with women in terms of conversations and stuff that I I'll talk about I, I just always make the mistake of assuming that somebody else is as comfortable talking about something as I am and um and I made somebody really uncomfortable um recently and I didn't know it until today and I've just felt sick to my stomach and just shame in my face and it's something I'm trying to work on and I I just hate myself when I fuck up again and anyway the show was going a little too long without me making it about me and so I had to uh, I had to jump in there the next person says, uh, nah, if I couldn't change anything and just observe, it would be just a lot of cringing and face palming. The next person says, I'd probably go way back, just observe the Native Americans living peacefully before our forefathers would come over there, exterminate them and take their land, all so I could be depressed in 2012. That one was taken. This is how far back I'm going on this survey. The survey was created in 2012. And I'm starting actually at the beginning and reading these um, 
these people's answers to the to the time machine question. Uh, this is an email I got from a, a woman who calls herself uh, Mayberry, and um, she prefaced it by saying, um, before you read my first email, would you mind adding that this was me playing with the boys I babysat 15 years ago? Um, nothing sexual ever happened, and I'm hoping it's just my lifelong anxiety rearing its head in a stupendous new way. Uh, previous uh, spikes have included, what if I have HIV? What if I die in my sleep? What if I'm gay? Um, which would be awful because I worked so hard to overcome relationship anxiety and recently married a really wonderful, supportive man, and so on. So I'm hoping, quote, what if I'm a pedophile is just the latest manifestation and I'm not about to be thrown in jail or have my life destroyed. And so uh, her question was, um, I think you have talked about the difference between adolescent curiosity um, and uh, child abuse in the past, and I was wondering if you could make the distinction for me. Uh, they are distinct, right? Question mark. Or perhaps you could point me to an episode that touches upon the difference. Also, I don't know how far you are. Oh, you don't need to know that. Um, and so I wrote back to her, and and uh, an episode that you might listen to uh, might be the Don Howell. Uh, he talks about um, sexual crimes, um, but mostly what he talks about tends to be a little a little heavier. Um, the, the first thing, that, and these are I am not a mental health professional, um, so these are just my opinions. Um, I think the first thing that's really important when you're trying to differentiate between what was, uh, you know, childhood or adolescent curiosity and what was abuse is to put the legality of what happened aside for just a moment. Um, and things to consider are the intent of both people um, and the consent on both people's parts. Um was there a balance of power? Uh, was it a balance of power through age or uh, maybe uh, somebody had leverage uh, over the other person? Um, and most importantly, I think, is what the emotional impact it had uh, on on both of the people or, or the one person who was wondering. Um, and what was the emotional impact then and what is the emotional impact now? And that's really the place to begin because I think until you can sort through processing what you felt then and how you feel about it now, um, because you will often feel different about it after you process it. And maybe even it will continue to evolve after you've, you know, quote unquote, uh, processed it. Um, so maybe that's the place to, to begin, um, before you start uh, pestering yourself with the question of what was their intent, um, did was I consenting in, you know, what I did, or was I a, a victim? Um, but it's there's a huge amount of gray area um, in there, and the feelings to me again is the most important, the most important part. Um, so thank you for asking that. That was a great question, uh, Mayberry. 
This person calls themselves, uh, he calls himself Tumor Scoop, and he's straight in his 20s. Uh, what you'd like people to say about you at your funeral? I would like to be recognized as humble, quiet, smart, thoughtful, but realistically think that there wouldn't be much of anything said. How does writing that make you feel? I guess I'm not really concerned with my funeral or remembrance after I die. We all rot the same when the game is over. Wow. Uh, if you had a time machine, how would you use it? I want to see the whole time frame of the railroads pushing to connect this nation after the Civil War. I want to see the West at any time it was still wild and dangerous. That is a great one. That is a really, really great one. Um, I'm supposed to feel good about other people, but I don't. I feel angry, sad, disgusted, murderous, suicidal, annoyed, fed up, and wishing I was deaf so at least I could finally stay in my head and not be burdened with other people's incessant need to make petty conversation about nonsense. How does writing this make you feel? Weird. I try not to embrace my misanthropic tendencies too much or often. I'm not too interested to see where that one goes. You think you're abnormal for feeling what you do. No, I just think maybe I struggle with it more. Would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better? No, they're out there already in their own selfish version. Why Why I'd say I have the response of fuck it all. Why I'd say I have the response of fuck it all. I'm not really sure what, how to, how that is meant to be read. Or maybe saying why I'd say, you know, like why I oughta. I don't know. This is a happy moment filled out by I spent five minutes thinking about this and they're uh, 16 and agender. And they write, during winter break, I had to take care of my aunt's roommate's little boy. He's one year old and I ended up, up watching him often. One day, his mother and my aunt were out working uh, and I watched him the entire day. I was very stressed out over an assignment and he crawled to me. I picked him up and he started dozing in my lap. When I thought he was asleep, I took him to bed, but as soon as I set him down, he woke up. He didn't cry, but just stared at me and reached out to me. I ended up falling asleep, holding him for about three hours. I woke up feeling completely refreshed and calm. My mind was blank and it felt very peaceful. I haven't felt like that in a long time, and I haven't felt like that since. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. It's so easy to picture that kid reaching up, smiling. I'm assuming the kid was smiling, reaching up, but I just love, uh, I think it's why I love my dog so much is there's just an innocence that, a simplicity that is so um, doable. <laughs> it's the best word I can think of. It's doable. Uh, back to the time machine question. This person says, I go forward about 10 years to see if I become the filthy, isolated hoarder I think I will be. Then, maybe, I can come back to this time with enough panic and motivation to change myself. Thank you for that. Uh, next person says, I go back to my early childhood. I don't remember much before seven, and I'd like to see what I was like. I'd like to observe how I interacted with my dad before he passed away and my brother before he committed suicide. I find those memories fading, and it upsets me. I'm sorry you had to uh, experience that. Yeah. It's, um, 
Just having memory fragments sometimes is so frustrating. The next person writes, If I can only observe things, I'd probably start by going to every Frank Zappa concert ever. Maybe go watch my wife being born? Uh, question mark. <laughs> and then they write, Ugh, mother-in-law vagina. Never mind that one. Uh, maybe as observe my diagnosis of type 1 diabetes when I was four. A lot of rock fan obsessed stuff. See the Beatles on Sullivan, Hendrix at Monterey Pop, Kiss at Cobo Hall, recording the live album. I could add to these all day, but there's coffee to be drank here and it's getting cold. Oh, hang out with with Kerouac, Lester Bangs, and Captain Beefheart. Uh, the next person says, a lot of things. I'd like to go back to 1980 and watch my life until things started to go wrong. Next one says, if I cannot change history... I would just have sex with the same girls when I was 18. Um, damn, that was good. I would like to relive it. Does this mean I am perverted? I don't know, because I guess it would depend on um, are you your age now or are you your age back then? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to uh, ask. Uh, uh, fuck is his name? Christopher Lloyd. Um, Next person says, first, I would go back to the 20s because I think I would become a better person if I experienced the Great Depression. I would also go back to my favorite era of music, the 60s, and pick of, pick some of those people's brains. That's interesting that you would want to go back and experience the Great Depression. Wow. I, I'm really fascinated by that would be like one of the last places I would I would want to go. It's interesting too. My dad was raised by an abusive um, father who was an untreated alcoholic, but um, he was an insurance. He had his own insurance agency, and um, was Irish and Catholic. And apparently, uh, you know, back then in the twenties. It was still, uh, 20s, 30s, was still something where there was uh, prejudice against the Irish uh, and against Catholics. And despite that, uh, I guess my grandfather was really, uh, really motivated and hard-driven. And my dad told me that at the height of the Depression, um, my grandfather was making $30,000 a year, uh, which would you know, what would that be in today's, compare that, that would be like, what, a million dollars a year, something like that, a lot of money. Um, but like a lot of homes populated by uh, driven, drunken tyrants, uh, it was not a, uh, it was not a happy home. I don't know what made me go off on that jag, but, um, oh, the depression. The next one says, this would probably count as changing history, but I'd go back and give my high school self a hug and tell him he won't feel like this forever and will lose his virginity eventually, so stop worrying about it so damn much. Maybe it wouldn't change my history, but maybe it would create some kind of branch, so at least that version of me would seek help sooner. Or maybe it would resolve itself since my high school self probably wouldn't take the advice of some weird 26-year-old giving him a hug. That is fantastic. Thank you for that. 
Um, the next one says, well, my first thought to the question is go back to 18 and have my tubes tied. But since I can only observe, I would want to go back to the little house on the prairie times and see how they did things, how they lived without all the excess we have today, to see the landscape before it was cleared to make concrete buildings, to see the animals that roamed. I think about that one all the time. What would it look like without seeing telephone wires? You know, I heard an interview one time with uh, the uh, graphic uh, artist, uh, novelist, R. Crumb, and he was talking about, in a lot of his pictures, he purposefully includes the ugliness of telephone poles on a street with the wires because he feels like it contributes to the kind of oppressive feel of, of modern, modern day life, uh, at least urban uh, modern day life. And I've thought about that a lot since and think, what would it be like to, to just see so much nature? I guess you can, you can go to it if you want it. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to churn butter. I barely want to get up and go to the fridge to get butter. Um, somebody writes, I wouldn't mind seeing the period before the French Revolution. Oh, you like you like the angry French. The French are very sexy when they're angry. This next person writes, um, can't change it. Of course, I would want it. I would want to desperately, but if I could only observe, I would like to visit my ancestors from all sides of the family. I would love to do that too. I would also like to observe many historical events, especially the ones which been written about, which have been written so little about with any amount of integrity, the Native American wars, the civil rights union, etc. But could I then report on those events even if I couldn't change them? I like that they're asking me as if this is something I'm controlling. Um, because gaining proper perspective is the key to understanding history and, as Americans, perhaps the world uh, at whole. I think we have missed ample opportunities. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time they were talking about, you know, the bias of different news media, and they, and they said it's impossible for any news organization to not have any bias because just by choosing what you choose to talk about is in itself um, biased because you can't talk about everything. And then I went and took a nap because that was just too big of a thought. Uh, this next person writes, I would go back to college and observe the parties that I missed because I was too self-righteous about underage drinking and, quote, I don't need alcohol to have a good time. I was close-minded. I could have gone and enjoyed myself without drinking if that's what I wanted to do. I can't change that, but it would be nice to see what I'd been missing. Uh, I was at those parties. Nothing. That's what you missed was uh, hot, sour breath sticky dance floors, um, people who were in the dawn of their alcoholism, and uh, it being enabled left and right. Next person writes, I'm more desperate to see the future. I have so many fears that I will never find love or success. I want to know if it happens so I can change my present if necessary. Next person says, I'd go to the future, see how humanity has turned out 
whether we've totally fucked over the planet or not, if there's hope. Uh, next person says, I'd rewind to a time when my dad was shooting home movies of me when I was growing up and see the proud smile that I could sense would have been on his face. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Wow. <laughs> what are you doing listening to the show? You sound, you sound like you had a great childhood and are totally well-adjusted. I cast you to hell. I cast you to hell in the promptest way possible. This next person says, I would go back to some of the good times in my life and relive those because I already relived the bad times in my head. Maybe if I saw the good times, it would take some of the power away from the bad. Next person says, I would use it to go back in time to make friends. I feel like it's never too late to make friends. Uh, next person says, I'd go meet my father when he was younger to see if he was always this boring. After a nice night at the theater with President Lincoln, I would give Vincent Van Gogh a hug and attend a party with David Bowie and Andy Warhol. Sounds like a good time, actually. I can't think of anybody I would probably want to be around less than Andy Warhol. That whole obsession with celebrity and... It, you know what? It, it, to me, it sounds like uh, high school... Uh, with paint and canvas. It was just uh, all the documentaries I've seen. I can certainly acknowledge that, you know, he was a brilliant artist, but as that whole scene just to me reeks of, of sadness and desperation. Um, and I have enough of that. I don't need to order out for, uh, Sadness and desperation. Next person says, I would go back and see how my parents were raised. Uh, person after that, I'd go to the Jurassic period and look at dinosaurs. Um, next person says, there's a few events, events I'd like to observe throughout history. Uh, Joe Jackson, Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, Rogers Hornsby, and a few other baseball players playing the game. Uh, the Constitutional Congress and various events involving the Iran-Contra affair. That's an interesting affair, uh, that, that uh, interesting political or historical event that somebody would want to. To me, there's so many other ones that are more compelling than that. I cast you to hell with the other person. Enjoy each other's company. Uh, and then I was the first person that filled out this survey, so here's the one that... Um, what I said is that I would go see Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli play jazz in 1940s Paris. I would like to watch Pink Floyd record Dark Side of the Moon and Animals. Animals, a highly, highly underrated album by Pink Floyd. Um, I would observe all my family members' childhoods, including mine. And then I realized I left one out. I would love to have watched the Beatles record Rubber Soul and Revolver. I think two of the, two of the best albums ever made. Uh, this was filled out by Wit Torres, and she is in her 20s and was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? The exact opposite of everything I think about myself. Uh, how does writing that make you feel? Maybe I should try to change how I see myself, but no, I've tried and don't 
know what else to do. Uh, she didn't answer the time machine question. Uh, I'm supposed to be excited about my engagement and the amazing man I'm going to marry, but I don't. I feel like I will only end up fucking it up and I'm inevitably waiting for that to happen in every action, in every word. I really encourage you to talk to somebody um, as soon as possible, um, especially if you're planning on having kids. How does it make you feel to write your feelings out? I want to tell him how scared I am, but I'm only afraid it will scare him even more, and the thought of hurting him fucking terrifies me. Bring this survey in, or this audio clip, and if you hear this, and play it for a therapist. And that would be a great starting point for them to help you. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Compared to my closest friends and family, yes. I have the feeling maybe not. Maybe not. Um, And I'm talking about your friends and family. I can tell you amongst the general population, no, that's not abnormal at all. It's pretty common. That doesn't mean I think you should go ahead with you know, getting married. I don't know. That's, I don't know enough information. Um, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better about yourself? I believe I would find it comforting to know that I'm not the only one afraid of the future. Oh my God, not by a long shot. We are all fucking terrified of the future. We all have a black and white crystal ball that is so fucked up and inaccurate, uh, we might as well be looking through, uh, you know, I don't know, insert bad, bad device. Opera glasses, broken telescope. Uh, I kind of like actually the opera. Uh, what's the, like the, the isn't there like a face mask that you that you put on, but it's just the eyes, almost like Catwoman, that people would do that at parties? Like from, uh, oh, what was the movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, Eyes Wide Shut? <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, I found the need to go uh, think about what that thing is called and why it's used. This was filled out by Jumping... Jesus on a pogo stick, and she is in her 40s and was raised in a totally chaotic environment. She writes, I honestly uh, don't want anyone at my funeral. I don't want a funeral. I don't want anything said or any acknowledgement at all. I just want to disappear and be forgotten without a trace. How does writing that make you feel? Relieved. The thought of dissipating into nothing sounds so freeing. At a time machine, how would you use it? And I would go back 20 years to my 22-year-old self and force her into therapy and alcohol treatment. I'm supposed to feel grateful that I have a job, but I don't. I feel like I want to quit and punch everyone in the face. I'm supposed to be happy because I look on the outside like a normal person in every way. Good job, good family, middle class, educated, but I don't. I feel dead inside and that all of life is pointless and meaningless. I'm supposed to feel optimistic that I am 30 days sober, but I don't. I feel like I am not sure why I stopped drinking in the first place, even though I almost died 30 days ago and my life was getting out of control. I don't know what you are doing to stay sober, but if you are staying connected to other people who are sober and trying to stay sober, that might help um, because you can take away the bad coping mechanism 
uh, of abusing drugs or alcohol or shoplifting or whatever your thing is, but it all you will feel is an absence of that thing if something healthy and connective doesn't replace it. Just my opinion. How does it make you feel writing your real feelings out? I wonder if anything will ever get better. Um, if you are trying to connect to people and open up, it will get better. It will get better. I was 40 when I finally admitted that I had a problem with drugs and alcohol, and it was scary the first couple of months because I just did not think getting help was going to work for me. I believed it worked for you, but and lo and behold, um, it did start to work for me, and I have not had the desire to use recreational drugs or uh, get drunk in 13 years. And I don't think I'm that much different than anybody else. Uh, This is an email I got from uh, a woman uh, named Ms. Emily. And she writes, Greetings to you. My name is Ms. Emily. Please kindly pardon me for any inconvenience this letter may cause you because it may come to you as a surprise as we have no previous correspondence. Well, first of all, I'm so flattered that she is worried about um, me being surprised by an email as I'm going through my emails. I mean, that is, if nothing else, incredibly considerate. Um, as far as inconvenience, um, no, hitting click and open is n- not that big of a deal, but I'm going to have to read more of her email to, to decide. Uh, She writes, I have something very important to discuss with you, and on hearing from you, I will introduce myself more to you. Which is very intriguing because this sounds almost like it's like an email version of burlesque. Bit by bit, she's going to reveal more of herself to me. And I've got to assume that whatever this dance is, it's going to be a very polite dance where I'm warned about every potential thing coming around the corner. I don't want to shock you. I just want to let you know that two days from now, perhaps you will see an email from me in your inbox. I hope this does not cause your heart to seize. Anyway, she continues, Thank you for honoring this invitation. I'm expecting your positive response. Well, that took a horrible turn. Um, That's a lot of pressure. And expecting your positive response is really pushy. It leaves me no room to have an irrational response, which is how I usually like to respond. Generally, when I get an email from somebody that I don't know, um, I call the FBI. Um, once they've blocked my phone, come to my house, interviewed me, uh, released me, I call the CIA. Um, I try to get them to find out information about that person after they have arrested me, interrogated me, uh, searched me, turned me away. Uh, then I respond to that person's email. 
because I need to know that they're safe. And the only way I know that that is an irrational response to an email is other people have told me, Paul, I think you're going a little overboard. You know, at the very least, start out with community law enforcement. Why do you have to go right to the FBI suspecting this strange emailer for having untoward motives? I guess I'm, that's just how I am. But uh, I'm going to have to think on this one, Ms. Emily. And, but in the meantime, I, I sincerely hope that you can find um, a special, special guy to settle down with and become Mrs. Emily. And then find out that you're not matched and go back to being Ms. Emily. Uh, and I also wanted to read... This is a portion of the survey that we used to have called the, uh, I think it was called the Mental Illness, Mental Illness Happy Hour Basic Survey. And um, I took it down from the website, but I went back and did some stats on one of the questions there. 2,500 people took this, uh, answered this question, roughly 2,500 people. And the question was... Um, I listed a bunch of emotions, uh, as many emotions as I could think that we experience every day, the most common emotions. So um, sad, sick and tired, blah slash empty slash vaguely unsatisfied, uh, ashamed, uh, lonely, anxious and restless, happy, hopeless, pretty angry, trapped, panicky, peaceful. Uh, connected and loved, left behind, jealous, satisfied, suicidal, and homicidal. And I then asked people to rank how how often they experience each of those individual emotions. And the choices I gave them were um, never, uh, I used to, but not anymore. Rarely, once in a while, quite a bit, all the time, and it's my defining mood. And so starting with emotions that people never feel, have never felt, uh, the top five ones that are the top group of ones, because I don't want to read every single one in, in descending order, um, the most common one that uh, some people have never experienced is feeling homicidal, uh, followed by uh, feeling suicidal. Um, and by the way, um, I don't need to start spewing numbers. Uh, followed by satisfied. Wow, some people have never felt satisfied. Um, followed by jealous. Followed by left behind followed by connected and loved. Oh, that's so sad to think that somebody has never felt connected and loved. Um, but yeah, again, reminding you, this is from, um, this is in descending order, um, which is a little confusing for this one because it's something that I've never, something they've never felt. Um, so... This is 
feelings that you used to feel but don't feel anymore. And the most common feeling that people used to feel but don't feel anymore is suicidal. Um, and then there's a big drop-off followed by satisfied, um, followed by connected and loved, followed by homicidal, and then peaceful, hopeless, and then trapped, and then they're all kind of pretty close within each other. Um, interesting, the, le- the one that people um, used to feel but don't feel any more, the least common one is sadness. So that's good. Um, oh, no, that means they're feeling sad. I'm confusing myself. Oh, my God, I'm so tempted to beat up on myself right now. Mean DJ voice is kicking the door in to get at the mic. Okay, then this is... um, What emotions do you rarely feel? And, And again, I gave them a list of emotions. This is incredibly unscientific. I gave them... People who who do stats for a living have clearly shut the podcast off at this point. Um, so now, which emotions do you rarely feel? The most common emotion that people rarely uh, feel is peaceful. Um, and, and mind you, these are just our listeners. Um I don't know how different they are from the rest of the population. I'd like to think more uh, intelligent. And uh, Wow, mean DJ voice. That was almost complimentary. <laughs> you hear my stomach? I'm so hungry right now. Uh, so uh, the most... At the top of the list of emotions people rarely feel uh, is peaceful, followed by satisfied, followed by connected and loved, followed by jealous, uh, happy, and then pretty angry. The most common emotion that people only feel once in a while is happy, followed by peaceful, followed by satisfied, followed by pretty angry, followed by connected and loved, followed by jealous. Then the most common emotion people feel quite a bit is sadness, followed by ashamed, followed by sick and tired slash fed up, followed by anxious and restless, followed by blah slash empty slash vaguely unsatisfied, followed by lonely, pretty angry, and hopeless. Then the most common emotion that people feel all the time from the list I provided of emotions to choose from uh, is lonely, followed by blah slash empty slash vaguely unsatisfied, followed by sick and tired slash fed up, followed by trapped, then left behind, then ashamed and anxious and restless and sad, hopeless, panicky, jealous, connected and loved. Well, at least connected and love um, isn't at the bottom of the list. Actually, it's good. Homicidal is at the bottom of the list of uh, emotions 
that people feel all the time. And then I think the most heavily weighted category is uh, the one called it's my defining mood because, you know, I, I thought, well, isn't all the time the um, highest you could go on how often somebody experiences an emotion? But then I realized, no, not necessarily because there will be several emotions that people will feel all the time. So you really need to pick one that stands out among the ones that they feel all the time, which is why I created this one. You are so soundly asleep right now that I'm concerned that you were listening to the podcast while driving. Wake up! So uh, the most common mood that people say is my defining mood is blah, empty, vaguely unsatisfied. Um, the second one is lonely, then anxious and restless, then sick and tired and fed up, then trapped. Uh, you know what? I'm going to read the all all of them for, for this one. Um, uh, trapped, uh, left behind, sad, hopeless, ashamed, panicky, jealous, pretty angry, connected and loved, suicidal, peaceful, happy, satisfied, and homicidal. I, I kind of like to end the podcast just on the word homicidal. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, I hope that was interesting to you. I I, I found it interesting when I when I first kind of uh, did that. Maybe the better way to have done that would have been doing the emotion and then saying how frequently, uh, what's the frequency, the most popular frequency that people experience happiness. Is it never? Is it all the time? Is it, you know, their defining mood? It's like, you know what, maybe I'll do that next week. And you'll be sure <laughs> you make... Make sure to not tune in. I actually feel like that was probably interesting to uh, to some people and probably comforting to some people to know that they um, are not alone in that. Because, like I said, 2,500 people took that uh, survey. And, um, yes, please go to the website and take uh, take the surveys if you, if you haven't. It really, really helps. Um, and I know uh, you're probably, some of you are probably annoyed that there's more advertising on the show now, but um, it really helps the show to survive, and I have anxiety. <laughs> My abandonment issues are coming up that um, people aren't going to sponsor the show now or um, be monthly donors because they see that, that I have advertisers and they'll think that I don't need monthly donors. I do need monthly donors. So, um, and I'm worried that you're going to say, oh, he's got too many advertisers now. I don't, you know, I don't want to listen to it. Um, it always eases my anxiety when I'm able to say it out loud. Uh, I want to end with a happy moment. This is filled out by Knight Heron. And uh, she writes, part of my responsibility at my job requires me to drive to various cities and towns within a 200-mile radius. During one of these trips, my agoraphobia was triggered and I went into a full-on panic attack. Uh, I went into a full-on panic attack when I came into five lanes of crowded traffic outside of New York City. I nearly passed out, but somehow made it safely to my hotel. 
I felt ashamed and powerless. I felt like a baby. I cried on the bed, feeling defeated, wondering if I would have to change careers. Days later, I bought the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook and little by little started to use some of the strategies listed. A year after that panic attack, I took a one-month leave from my job and drove by myself 2,600 miles from my home in Pennsylvania to Florida and back again, stopping along the way at interesting attractions and at the homes of friends and family members. I had to drive through several congested areas which triggered the panic attack, but I worked through it, cheering myself on. I will never forget the dinner I had in Charlottesville, Virginia, my last stop on the month-long tour. The sun was setting and a brilliant shade of pink settled over the restaurant's brick patio. I felt peaceful, positive, and future-oriented. My, agoria, my agoraphobia wasn't healed. Anxiety was still no stranger to me. But sitting there with my after-dinner coffee, I knew that even with an anxiety disorder, I could lead a full and rich life. I would simply take it one step at a time, accepting each victory and defeat with equanimity. Wow. Thank you so much for that. You know, not not only do I love being able to share that with you guys, but for me to be reminded of that as well. Um, Because as much as I talk about emotions and deal with all of this stuff on a day-to-day basis, um, I forget I forget, and um, and I need I need to be reminded of that. But th- thank you so much uh, for that. I hope you liked the the new spin on the surveys. If you didn't, you know, go fuck yourself, uh, and not like in a uh, gentle way. I mean, like in a vigorous, unpleasant, self fucking way. I just totally ruined the end of this show. I just totally. As it should be, Paul. Herbert's butthole says hello. Ivy wants you to know that she's pretty. And she's the most popular dog ever. And uh, I want to thank you. Um, I hope you heard something that helped you, entertained you, compelled you. Um, And if you're feeling stuck, just know that you are so, 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 so not alone. Um, and there's help. There's always help. If you can take that uncomfortable first step of asking for it. I'm glad I did because it saved my life. And now I get to do this awesome job that I get to do where I get to learn about your lives and share my pain and struggle with you guys and have you support me and I try to support you, and uh, then eventually we'll tire of each other and go our own ways. And once in a while, we'll bump into each other at a truck stop or Disneyland, and that'll be awkward. I'll say, hey, weren't you that listener? And you say, yeah, you were that guy that did that thing that you ran into the ground. And we'll both say, it's good to see you. And then we'll slink away awkwardly. Anyway, you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.